Welcome to the Why Your Bank Sucks podcast. My name is James Bach, and I'm here to tell you why your bank does, in fact, suck very much. Bit of a truncated podcast today. I'm actually going on a brief vacation to celebrate my birthday, but I do know, yes, I do know that bank problems and bank issues do not stop just because um, James is on vacation. So if you have any bank issues or bank problems that you want to share with the world, of course, um, my Twitter is at us. You can contact our Why Your Bank Sucks complaint line at area code 575-322-4127 and let us know what's going on in your in your world with the banks. And I can definitely help as much as I possibly can. I'm going to have my phone. I'm going to be on Twitter. I'm going to be tweeting as much as I can in the four or five days that I'll be kind of a ways. So uh, continue sending that good stuff, and I promise you I'm going to do my best to help you. So today's podcast is just going to just briefly touch over the Bank of America reported earnings um, for this quarter, and I'm going to just give you my two cents about what it means. And then I'm also going to just briefly touch on uh, the congressional hearing last Wednesday where Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, along with other CEOs, um, had a not-so-pleasant time with the Congress people. So... Um, after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to get into that, and I'm actually going to start with a voicemail from um, a longtime listener and longtime supporter of At Bank Screwed Us and Why Your Bank Sucks, Luis Gonzalez from New York City. So after this brief promotional consideration, you'll hear his um, voicemail. Uh, hi, this is Luis Gonzalez. I'm from Queens in New York City, and I've opened up a Bank of America account back in 2016. And it was for a secured credit card. And a few years passed on and they made the card unsecured or they kind of graduated the card, as they like to call it. But they kept the annual fee, even though I was promised multiple times, even on the bank branch, that I was not going to have an annual fee. Uh, it took me three years of me calling them around 20 to 30 times, maybe, to get that fee removed and get my card upgraded. And I've had multiple issues with them. Another one is that somebody was able to somehow copy my credit card in person with some machine. I'm not really sure how that works. And they made two purchases, one for $125 and another for $30. And Bank of America told me that my fraud claim was denied because I need to provide an alibi that I was not the person who made the claim, who made the purchase, sorry, even though I've never been to that store ever in my life. And it was denied already three times, and they refused to open up another fraud claim. So I've had a really bad experience with Bank of America, and I recommend everybody do not bank with them. They choose anybody else, but Bank of America, they will screw you over multiple times, and they will not help you when something bad happens as a fraud dispute. Trust me, and thank you. Bye-bye. And that is our friend Luis Gonzalez from Queens, New York City. I really appreciate um, your support. It really means a lot. You know, a lot of the times whenever I'm trolling on Twitter looking for Bank of America complaints, it's really hard to find someone to connect with, you know. And when I saw him, I knew that he was just honest and straightforward. Um, he's also a gigantic wrestling fan. I'm a big pro wrestling fan as well, and he got to go to WrestleMania and the whole nine yards um, at MetLife Stadium just across the river there, and I'm really jealous and envious. Um, hopefully I can go to one in the near future. Hopefully if I can make this little podcasting work and make a little bit of money. But, you know, what he was talking about is something that happens a lot, and that is a secured credit card. You know, a lot of people have issues with their credit. A lot of people have problems just getting their credit jump-started. You know, um, when I was 19 years old, I got my first, you know, credit card with Bank of America. At 18, I got my first credit card in general. And, you know, 
16, 17, now 18 years ago. Man, it's been a long time. Credit card companies were really, really... They were desiring to give that to younger folks. They wanted to give credit to younger folks. They wanted to get them started early, get them hooked early, just like the cigarette companies, you know. And my first credit card was for $1,000. I had absolutely no job to pay for it. And I took care of it. You know, actually, the only time I used it was to put um, gasoline for my grandmother. And, you know, there was times where I would just pay the bill, and sometimes she'd pay me back. And that actually established a really good, you know, credit score as I got a little older and as I got to work in the Bank of America. So it was something that I was fortunate for, and I'm not so fortunate now because I do have a little bit of credit card debt, so I'm you know, telling everyone that's younger than me, just be careful with those things because you never know when you're going to lose your job or something like that. But you know, his, his issue was he had a secured card with the promise that, hey, if you put money down, um, eventually it's going to become unsecured because you know we're going to trust you is what they're basically implying, and then we'll give you your deposit back, and then it's going to become a regular old credit card. I used to call secured cards, credit cards, training wheels until my manager told me not to call it that anymore. I'm like, why not? You know, if you're if you're a little kid and you're saying I'm riding a bike, does a kid give a crap if he's, you know, on training wheels? No. A credit card with training wheels, a secured card is just there. It's going to give you every opportunity to support you and not make you fall. It's really hard to fall off of a secured credit card and a bike with training wheels. So you use it, you know, for day-to-day purchases, you make payments, and then you kind of slowly show that you're responsible and you're able to do such things. And then all of a sudden, they they take the training wheels off and you have a regular old credit card. And that's all well and good, but a lot of the times with those Bank of America credit cards, they don't waive the annual fee. So it becomes a weird mutated version of an unsecured credit card. And what Lewis had was he had a secured card that became unsecured, but it still hit him up for that $39 annual fee every year. And it's a hassle to get that back because you try to call and they say, no, this is a legit charge. It was in the terms and conditions. Well, yes, it's in the terms and conditions, but the card changed from secure to unsecured. So if I got the same type of regular old credit card of Bank of America unsecured without having to go through secured, I wouldn't be getting charged you know, $39. It reminds me a lot of you know where I'm going this weekend. I'm going to Las Vegas. And um, I wrote a book about Las Vegas a few years ago, and one of the things I did in my research was I asked everyone on my floor in a hotel how much they paid for their room. You know, Some people don't like to talk about those type of things, but some people love to talk about it, especially if they got a deal. So I had some people who told me that their room was comped. It was totally free. I had some people say, hey, I got an Expedia deal for $39. I had someone say $59. And then I had someone say $99. And I remember there was this one gentleman at Excalibur. It's a really lower-end hotel in Vegas. And he told me he paid $219 that night for that room. And I'm just wondering, why? Why did he do that? You can stay at Caesars Palace, Planet Hollywood, better hotels for that amount of money. How did he have such a bad scenario where he's paying $219 where... I can legitimately get that free almost any day of the week, and a lot of people can as long as they play and as long as they spend a little bit of money. So it's kind of weird for a bank to go over the same things. You know, you have a a secured card where you pay a $39 fee and you have a low limit. Then you have an unsecured card that still has kind of a low limit, but you're still paying 39 and that thing's going to show up on the card, and if you're close to the limit, is that going to put you over the limit? Are you going to get a fee for that? There's a lot of gray area with those things. So whenever you get an unsecured card without having to deal with the, the secured part of it, there's really not a lot of issues that you have to go through. But with a with an unsecured card that has an annual fee, 
it's hard to convince someone over the phone to get that taken off. I, I mean, as a former associate there, I remember calling and they were just like, well, why is he getting charged? Well, that's a good question. I don't know why he's getting charged. I'm, I'm calling you to fix it because I don't have any access to it. And it was really hard to, to get off. A lot of the times, I think the reason why they would do it is it was kind of to parlay it into a conversation for a new Bank of America card, like a rewards type card or something. And that's just unethical, and that's just not the way to do it. So, you know, in Lewis's case, I just really think that he got screwed in a way that's very rare, but it does happen, you know, every so often inside a branch where you have someone who's paying for something that everyone else is not paying for. And if you have someone on the phone, customer service, that's new, who doesn't remember the old terms and conditions, or maybe doesn't remember the way things were back in the day, then you're going to run into some crap, period, end of story. Um, and of course, um, the other thing that we were talking about was he had a fraudulent purchase that was done with his card. Somehow they duplicated his card, which can happen. The chip and the strip can both be duplicated and can be used elsewhere. It's um, really upon the merchant to protect you in that part. I know Bank of America saying, you know, a lot of the times it's not, your respo not their responsibility. And I understand that part of it, but I disagree that if you're, you know, carrying a card that has Visa or MasterCard and you're the bank, you should be able to say, hey, you know what, we're going to protect our people. And they didn't do that for him. So, you know, they were giving him the runaround. And the craziest thing was they made him um, essentially, they asked him where he was at the time of the, the purchase. They said, hey, where were you at? If it wasn't you who was making this purchase at this place, where were you at? And... You know, what's it to you where I'm at? I'm calling you because I had fraud. I'm not calling I'm not calling the cops and then I'm you know, you know, to report a crime and then the cops come in and say, Hey, well we think you're the suspect in the crime. I'm like, Well why? I, I called you. If I was committing a crime, why would I call the cops? So why would I call Bank of America customer service if I was the one that was doing that? Yeah, do people scam banks? Yeah, of course they do. But you know, it was just a really bad situation and they wanted him to provide an alibi to show where he was at the time of the purchase and I had never heard that in my 13 years of working at the bank and my 15 years of being a bank customer. It was an insane thing uh, for them to say. I almost think of it as, um, you know, whenever they would kidnap someone in another country, you know, like if they were in Afghanistan or, or whatever and they would kidnap a soldier or someone, you know, you would have the kidnapped person hold up that day's paper to show that that picture wasn't doctored or wasn't photoshopped. So, you know, you would have them go on video and say, oh, yes, I did watch the basketball game last night, and team won by the score of, you know, like you would want to give them some signal that, yeah, I was here. And and that's what Bank of America was trying to do is saying, well, you know, it was, you know, Sunday, March 1st, you know, I don't know what day Sunday was this past year, but where were you at on March 1st? Well, I did this and that. What the hell does it matter? If I'm calling you, file the claim, and if you find out that it's me, then go ahead and decline the claim. But they were kind of just egging him on to provide an alibi when I just think it was so stupid. He didn't have to provide anything because it happened to him. And, you know, experiences like that are what make people leave banks, okay? They, 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 they'll leave banks because they lose that trust. They're saying, you know what? I got violated and you're not believing me. You know, women for hundreds of years had that issue whenever something bad would happen to them. And they would tell someone, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're a woman, so, you know, you're not to be believed, as if men were the only ones that did right or wrong, you know. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing we got to get rid of, okay? So if someone's saying a crime happened, and if you're a bank, take the time to investigate it, because you may actually uncover a lot more fraud going on at a store, 
or at a particular you know gas station or a particular type of fraud that's always done with certain types of cards it does happen it happens in patterns i almost felt like i was an fbi you know agent at my little desk in new mexico trying to figure these things out for the fraud department because you know frankly they don't do their job. They approve and decline claims, I really feel, based on relationship status with Bank of America. If you're a guy who's overdrafting all the time and maybe don't have a lot of money, I think you're less likely to get a claim approved than someone who's a preferred customer. I mean, that's just my opinion, but I've seen it happen before, so I wouldn't doubt it one bit. Um, you know, so whenever he says, choose someone else other than Bank of America, they'll screw you over multiple ways, multiple times. It does happen, you know. It's He had a twofold. He had a fraud claim, and then he had an issue with his secured card. Why do you trust a bank at that point in time? And, of course, he has another bank as well, and he likes them, and he was really happy with their customer service. So if bad customer service is just the baseline, and Bank of America is that baseline, then anyone else who just does a little bit more is going to you know, win the heart of Lewis. It's going to win the heart of me or anyone who's seeking out another bank. So if you give that extra effort, banks, and if you're working at a bank, hear me out. If you're giving that extra effort, people notice that, and they'll be loyal to you forever and ever. Bank of America lost a really good customer because he's a young guy. You know, um, It's not cheap to go to, to WrestleMania and to go to all these wrestling events, so he had to save up some money. So you know, good saving habits equal good spending habits. So someone who saves a lot of money like that can definitely set up another savings account or maybe set up a second account for the purposes of a vacation like myself or going to WrestleMania like him. And bankers need to see that, saying, hey, this guy has potential. You know, you don't walk into a bank with a million dollars instantly. You grow that million dollars over time. And because of a silly claims dispute and because of a secured card issue that should have been fixed relatively easy, they just lost Lewis, the customer. Uh, this will be the only voicemail uh, on this podcast. Uh, we have a lot more in queue. We're going to have an all-voicemail podcast very, very soon once I get back from my little vacation here. But I really wanted to touch on this because he he is a really big supporter of our Twitter page and the podcast. I know he listens to the podcast, so again, thank you so much for that. And um, we'll be talking in the future, hopefully good bank news and hopefully pro wrestling news. So I really appreciate that. After this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to get to today's topic. So, you know, Bank of America reported earnings today, Tuesday, April 16, 2019. And it was a very successful day in Bank of America's world because they posted record first quarter earnings of $7.3 billion. And the net income rose 6% from the same quarter last year. So that's hundreds of millions of dollars more this quarter, first quarter of 2019, than they made in 2018. Revenue of $23 billion. They've they chugged through $23 billion, and out of that, $7.3 billion of it was pure profit. And, you know, my thing is, I've always said before, as a, an American company, you should want to make money. You should want to be successful. But at the same time, how does Bank of America make the money? Now, I don't want this just to be another commentary about what my job is now with Twitter and everything. But you see all the complaints, you see all the $12 fees, the $15 for cashier's checks, the $30 for stop payments, the $35 overdraft fees, the $39 um, late, you know, annual fee, excuse me, that Lewis had on his credit card, uh, $27 late fee for credit cards. You see all those things. It's not equal to $7.3 billion. I want to be fair to Bank of America in that aspect. It's probably a huge chunk of that $7.3 billion, but it's not all, okay? A lot of the times they do have, you know, real estate holdings and investments and 
you know, lending between, you know, big, humongous companies and them, you know. So it's not just James and Lewis and this guy over here and that guy over there. It's these huge companies that have billions of dollars of revenue. So, yes, of course, they're making money off the big fish too, but the small fish are the ones that contribute to that a lot more, yet they're the ones that are being held down the most. And I really, really think that's just such a bummer. You know, it just really bums me out that that happens. And I really don't have any words for it other than, you know, Bank of America needs to take a look. If they're projecting out what they're projecting out every quarter here, if they make $7.3 billion, then folks, they're going to make $29 billion. That's going to be $1 billion more than they made last year. And what services are they providing you? They're eliminating branches in small towns. Yes, they're building new ones, but they're in affluent markets where people who are lower to moderate income are not going to have banking the way that we had before. You know, and, and those are the things to really look out for. And, of course, Bank of America's press release about the earnings is talking about what they're doing this quarter, this year. And, of course, they're talking about adding 350 financial centers and new and existing markets by 2021 to reach more than 90% of the U.S. population. Well, of course, if you ever look at a like a, an election, you know, like the presidential election or something, you know, you'll see that 90% of the population, you know, to reach them is actually not really hard. You know, all of California, all of New York State, Florida, Texas, you know, those states have a huge amount of the U.S. population. I, I don't know the math offhand, but I'm sure it's at least 30% of the U.S. Pol you know, population is in those four states. So 90% is really not hard to get to if you're strategically placing your locations in a place where people can reach them. And I don't know what their radius is, I guess, within a 20-mile drive or 20-minute drive or something. Um, and that's cool. That's great. It gives more exposure to them as a company. But the other 10%, you know, a lot of people, and, and I don't want to get political, but, you know, there's a lot of Democrats in my state of New Mexico, and they're poor. But, you know, like, you know, the red staters, Republican people as well, they live in poor states too. Alabama, you know, Mississippi, predominantly Republican. They don't have Bank of Americas in that area, yet they're being underserved. They don't have a lot of major banks in that area because banks aren't investing in there. So, you know, and obviously in blue state, New Mexico, they're not investing. Bank of America is not investing, I should say, in our state as well. They pulled back. They removed locations in Socorro, New Mexico, Hobbs, Roswell, Silver City, Bayard, Aztec, some banks in Albuquerque, my branch in Las Cruces, uh, Clovis, where I went to college. You know, all these all these Bank of Americas are gone forever and ever, and Bank of America's pulled out of them, yet they're not serving the population. You know, Albuquerque has 800,000 people in New Mexico, Yet New Mexico's population is, you know, 2 million. So 40% of New Mexico is served by Bank of America just off of one city. New Mexico is a big state. You have, you know, you can literally go 10 hours across the state without touching border to border. That's how long and just mountainous and just crazy it is. So you have a state like New Mexico underserved, yet you have a state like, you know, Alabama or Mississippi who are on the other side of the spectrum, I think this should be a joint effort. This should be bipartisan. I think, you know, people from both sides of the the lobby should say, hey, you know what? This bank is making too much damn money and we got to do something about it. If we can do, you know, one bit of effort with our podcast and our mission here, then by all means, we're going to do it. $7.3 billion can, it can only buy two NFL teams. Let's just be serious. You know, the NFL makes a lot of money too. But when you put it in perspective that, if you make $50,000 a year for 50 years, you make $2.5 million. Well, Bank of America made, 
you know, a hundred times that every single day, a lifetime for someone in terms of income, a hundred times over every single day that they operated in January, February, and March in this year. That's that's an insane amount of money, and I really don't know what to say about it other than bravo Bank of America, but shame on you at the same time because you're making that money off of insane fees on high interest rates, and that's not their fault. That's the federal government's fault as well, but I think as a company, you should kind of look and say, hey, is this loan really helping our customer or is it helping us? And that, that's just all i got to say about that. So, of course, they advertise 350 financial centers. And, um, of course, the press release has the minimum $20 an hour starting pay, which we've talked about in a previous podcast and we can talk about again in the future. And something we didn't touch on that happened last week, they plan to contribute over $300 billion in the next 10 years uh, in something called the Environmental Business Initiative to help create a low-carbon, sustainable future. It just sounds very big brothery. I haven't had a chance to read it in great detail, so um, I won't do a podcast on it until I read it in depth, and I'll give you my two cents on that. But anytime that they report record earnings, it's just a big high five. And yeah, we just killed it. We just dominated. But yeah, you dominated some people who needed your help, Bank of America. So um, don't pat yourself on the back too much. Please, please don't pat yourself on the back too much. And finally, I wanted to talk about the congressional hearing in Washington last Wednesday. And it was a very interesting day, to say the least, to see all the CEOs of all the big banks there, except for Wells Fargo, because Wells Fargo doesn't have a permanent CEO, to see all of them. Some of them were afraid, and Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America, looked kind of nervous up there. Some of them were just cavalier, and they didn't give a crap. They answered questions the way that they wanted to. They felt like they were being bullied by the congressman, and I just I, I just laughed when I saw it because um, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase, was just so blunt about, you know, we have no plans to match Bank of America's $20 an hour minimum wage. I mean, what guts to say something like that? It's honest, and it's true. You know, I... I applaud him for at least being honest, but it just—it was just funny to have a, a villain in that. I, I really saw Bank of America's role in that more as a trying to toe the line and try not to stray with opinion. You know, um, a question was asked, is Bank of America in all 50 states? And Brian Moynihan didn't know how to answer that question. And he, you know, he was like, uh, retail banking? Retail banking, we're not in all 50 states, but we do have offices of Merrill Lynch and other things in all states. Well, Merrill Lynch is for rich people. Merrill Lynch is for people with $250,000 or more. So, of course, they're going to be in every state. They'll be in every city if there's enough people to, enough rich people to kind of, you know, acquire or whatever. So, that wasn't much of an answer, but he was blunt and said not retail banking. And I'm glad that he said that because there's still a lot of states that don't have Bank of America. There's still a lot of towns that don't have Bank of America. Do they, should they want them now? Probably not, but... You know, at least a question was asked about, are you really for America or are you just really for the people that are making you a lot of money? That was really an important part of it. And, you know, there was um, the congresswoman from Pennsylvania who actually mentioned something about home loan modifications. And, he, you know, she was asking Brian Moynihan, had he ever been through a modification process? And he was, no, I've never been part of the process. And I got emails on the thing. One, he doesn't get emails. If you email brian.moynihan at bankofamerica.com, you'll get a response from uh, a subordinate. You'll get a response from an administrative assistant who then forwards your email to someone closer to you or someone that's not on Moynihan's level. So he gets emails, but he doesn't read them, okay? 
and, and two, the modification thing was something I dealt with for years and years at Bank of America. So many people lost their homes in New Mexico. So many people had issues um, trying to save their home in New Mexico. And the thing that the congresswoman said, and I'm sorry I'm forgetting her name right now, um, but she was mentioning that you know her family members were doing it. And 11 visits to the bank later, they still had problems with the modification. Papers would be lost in the shuffle. They would have to refax and resend over documents like tax documents, W-2 forms, and the whole nine. They had to do it 11 times because something always got missing or something was always kind of needed again. I can tell you that's 100% true. I worked in a branch for a long time, and we would have people who would come in with modification paperwork. It's a huge freaking stack, folks. It's like 50, 60 pages of tax documents and everything. And your job is just to fax them. My job as a sales manager was just to send them in the fax machine to whatever department it was, which was in Colorado, which was weird because Bank of America wasn't even in Colorado for the longest time until recently. So their office for modifications was there in the middle of nowhere where there was no B of A's. Go figure. But we would just stand by the fax machine and just feed this sucker in. And sometimes it would take two faxes to send all this paperwork in. Uh, it takes 20 seconds per page usually. And I tell my customer to have a seat. It would take 15 to 20 minutes. But I want you to leave with a confirmation page. I knew damn well that if I had that confirmation page that I had proof that it wasn't on me that papers got missing. We got that confirmation page and I would make a copy of it for myself and I would make a copy of it for my customer who's going through the modification because I wanted no excuses from those home loan people uh, you know because if they're going to steal someone's house they better prove that something didn't happen and I had proof that we sent over the documents the way that they were intended and so did my customer. So I would go through that and I'd send these documents and sure enough I'd get a call from my customer saying hey they said they didn't get anything are you sure you faxed it? I just sent, I gave you a confirmation letter that says that all pages were sent and confirmed. So they were obviously lying. I always thought that was a way to stall people in order to kind of dissuade them from going through the modification or even worse yet, just to give them to give up their home. So my customer would come back and I would fax it again. And what I would normally do is try to get someone online saying, I'm faxing this over right now. I'm going to put you on hold and I'm going to get a confirmation and I want you to see it on the other end. I want to make sure that you got it because things would go missing with um, these B of A customers. And when the congresswoman said that, I was just so, it brought me back home and it actually made me very angry and it actually brought tears to my eyes because I remember so many people just worried about losing their houses and literally a fax machine stood between them and their house and a fax machine confirmation letter that I gave them was not proof enough that they did what they were supposed to do um, in order to appease Bank of America and that just makes me sick to my stomach guys I, I mean it really does so when she said that that hit so close to home um, it, it came towards the end of my tenure there where I would just ask the customer do you mind if I just keep a copy of all your paperwork and I'm going to put it in my locked file cabinet just for the time being because if they're stupid and they say they need it faxed again I don't want to call you I don't want to put you through that can I just make a copy of it that way I can fax it over and over again I will bombard them with faxes to make sure they got it and my customers would always say yes and I would try to be really helpful with that but it was really frustrating guys and seeing that testimony just really um, emboldened me even more to do this project because this is still happening and this five billion dollar grant thing that they got going on for low lower income um, mortgages oh my friends it's going to be part two of this and i'm not there to help this time so i know it's going to be worse so you know stay tuned on that but seeing that congressional testimony really really opened up my eyes it showed me um someone who is 
Moynihan, the CEO, kind of reminds me of the commissioner of pro football, Roger Goodell. They make so much money for their company, yet they're so evasive in public appearances and comments and having a thought that's not an independent thought that I always feel like he shouldn't be there. Like, I always feel like, you know, he was kind of placed there and he didn't want to be there, but he's just going to be all shucks and do his job and make his money for him and his company. And it really showed in that testimony. You have a lot of confident, you know, people in Congress who have to be confident in order to run for Congress. And then you have someone that was a lawyer, you know, for the longest time who was behind the scenes at Bank of America until he became CEO. And now he's the public face of the company. Sometimes it's hard to do that transition. I know it was hard for me to go from drive through teller to sales manager because one was barely talking and the other one is nonstop talking. So I know that, you know, Moynihan probably goes to that too, but they both, um, the commissioner of football and him share a similarity of they have that same kind of quiet demeanor to the public, yet they're brutal in how they make money. You know, the NFL just prints money, tens of billions a year in revenue, and Bank of America, the same thing as well. And both of them kind of just share that same outlook on everything. And I just, I'm stunned by it. But it was really nice to see that in front of Congress. And if my project goes well, if my conversations about my experiences working there go well, hey, we may see them in Congress again. And I would love to be in Congress to just let everyone know what's going on. Yes, for my podcast sake. Yes, in order to get my exposure to make a little bit more money. But at the same time, I really think Bank of America needs to answer some of these things. And it's my duty to do that right now. I want to keep it kind of short here because, as I mentioned, I want to have a short podcast. But all things being equal, it's been an interesting week with the congressional hearing and the reported earnings. There's going to be so much more news for Bank of America. And if there's any news that's going to happen um, while I'm on vacation, of course, I have my phone and I can do an emergency podcast if I need to. But uh, right after this promotional consideration, I'm going to wrap it up. One moment. All right, just here to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, truncated podcast of Wire Bank Sucks. I really thank uh, Lewis in Queens, New York for the voicemail. And keep on keeping on, my friend. If there's anything that you ever need, of course, you know, I'm just a, a DM away. And, of course, uh, our conversation about the reported earnings from Bank of America in the first quarter of 2019 and the CEO Brian Moynihan's appearance in Congress. It was a lot of fun. And if we can go in-depth a little bit more on that down the road, I definitely will as well. Like I said, I hope to see them in Congress again sometime in the very near future as well. Of course, at Bank Screwed Us is our Twitter handle, at Bank Sucks Pod is our um, show handle as well. My personal Twitter is at James B is right. James at wirebanksucks.com. If you have an email, comment, question, um, of course, go to our line, our complaints line at area code 575-322-4127. I got to remember that number um, pretty soon. Or, of course, you could always message me on Twitter, and you'll see me on Twitter as much as possible. Three books coming out. Bank of America Nearly Made Me Homeless. Beer Money, my banking guide for younger folks. And, of course, The Bank Screwed Us, which is our B of A complaints book, which is coming out really, really soon. A portion of the proceeds will go to charity. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. My name is James Baca, and I just told you why your bank sucks. You have a great day. Goodbye.